something on the order of uh I don't know, maybe like eight, 10, some like 10 lines, <laughs> 10 skinny lines, but uh, it's really juicy. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, the, uh, yes, last week's class, rather, I promised that we would say a word about this funky word called prusbol. So I, I put just the like gesture um, at the top of uh, this week's handout. So now hopefully you've had enough time to get that open. Cause um, as I mentioned, we're gonna be spending quite a lot of time in the handout. Um, so the, the Jastro puts in, it's an abbreviation of these like three words in Greek that I'm going to butcher. My husband is the Greek expert in our house, but it's something like pros boule bouleuton. Um, and then if you follow what, what, where Jastro tells you to go, which is boutis, um, it means something like a senator. So then prosbol, which is prosbule boute, something like that, um, means like before the council of senators, um, which is still confusing. Like that doesn't really account for why it's called a prosbol, <laughs> other than like if you imagine that the council of senators is like the Bethan, then what you're doing is you're saying, I have this outstanding loan, the Shemitah year is coming, um, and I would like to like pass my loan off to the Beitin to as like the holder of the loan so that I can enforce it going forward. Um, so I think that's probably the idea behind the word prisbol. Uh, it has this Greek root, but if there's any anyone, um, any of the, the participants in our shior who have brilliant ideas about that, Noah, I know you're a linguist um, and other people, feel free to chime in if you have um, thoughts or um, a better understandings of, of the Greek and what might be going on here. Um, okay, but with that, let's go back to our Gemara and if people have other thoughts and ideas, they're welcome to share them. And by the way, I think Amy mentioned this, but we do kind of welcome people to turn on their videos and show your face. It's nice to know that people are kind of listening. <laughs> um, so feel free to do that. And also I should mention, I'm trying out like a new audio setup as you can see here. So if it gets like really loud or I don't know if something goes wrong with it, just like, please let me know. Um, but we got some complaints last time. So I'm trying to up my game. Um, okay. Okay, so if you're inside your Gemara, we are on page Laman Vav Amud Bet and we're at the third line down from the top of the page. So as I mentioned, right, we had our first question, which was, Is there such a thing that on a Torah level, Shemitah requires it, let's say, it's a requirement of Shemitah, and then Hillel can come along and decree that it's not a requirement of Shemitah? Like, what a crazy thing. And then we see, and then we saw, just to review, right, we saw um, the position of Rebbe, who says that Shemitah Bizman Hazeh is, uh, or right, Rebbe filtered through a bayay, saying that Shemitah in our times is Darabanan, and therefore you can have, um, and therefore the rabbis are allowed to kind of like make this loophole because you can have like a rabbinic innovation of Prisbol um, on a rabbinic level of Shemitah. That's like, that's kind of the argument here. And then, 
but that's a little bit um that's a little bit complicated because now the Gemara is going to ask the following question um Randy I think doesn't have the source sheet Evie's posted it a few times so maybe she'll post it again in case someone joined since the last time she posted it um okay so now, now we're up to the next question, which is, hold on. Okay, so let's say that Shemitah is only Darabanan, meaning on a Torah level, I don't have to, I, the, the lender, we can go back to our case from last time where I lent Evie a million dollars. So Evie owes me a million dollars. So now we have a case where on a Torah level, Evie still owes me one million dollars. Here's the Gemara's question. Is it possible that there's such a thing where on a Torah level, Shemitah doesn't release it, right? We said that that's maybe even the root of the word Shemitah we talked about last time is, is this release, that on a Torah level, Shemitah doesn't release it. And then the rabbis come along and release it. And that's, that's a really good question because um, here's, here's the Rashi, so if you are in the handout, we're in source number two, but if you're in Rashi, we're three lines down in the Rashi, right? So if on a Torah level, Evie owes me a million dollars, but then on a rabbinic level, they say, oh, but actually on a rabbinic level, Evie doesn't owe me a million dollars, then along, along comes um, this question and says, how is that possible? And explains Rashi, Venimsa Halova, Evie, <laughs> Evie the borrower, is going to be a Gazlan al Pihen, a thief, um, but who's acting like in accordance with the rabbinic decision, right? So Evie is going to be stealing a million dollars from me. Um, by by following rabbinic will. So meaning it's crazy to say on a Torah level, Evie owes me a million dollars, but on a rabbinic level, she's allowed to keep it because then on, on a Torah level, by her keeping it, she's stealing from me. Is that right? Are people following what I'm saying? That even though the rabbis say, oh, Evie, you can keep it. Well, if the Torah says she can't keep it and has to actually return her loan, then on a Torah level, Evie's a thief, even if the rabbis are encouraging her to steal. Um, so that's the Gemara's next question, right? The first question was, how is Hillel allowed to override the Torah? But the second question is, once we say, oh no, actually Shemitah is just a Darabanan, they say, I'm sorry, actually Shemitah, yeah, Shemitah today is just a Darabanan, then it almost like, I don't know whether it's like more of a question or it's like the opposite question or something in that direction, right? If it's just the Darabanan, then, then Evie needs to repay the loan because loans are serious, right? So, um, so now, so that's our question. So we have two answers, one answer by Abaye and one answer by Rafa. Um, a confusing thing that I just want to point out is that Abaye was kind of already speaking. So if we turn back the page, or if you look at last week's handout, or you can just listen, we had our first question, which was, is there possible that there is such a thing that that the Shemitah releases on the Torah level, and then Hillel can just come along and make a prisbol. And so then we have Abaye, who says, Amar Abaye, and then we go into Rebbe's opinion, and that's that's like what we saw so far, kind of, right? And Rebbe's opinion is that Shemitah now is Darabana. Um, 
And so now we have the second question that just seems like it's a second question um, based on a bias answer, right? So a bias says, oh, I can resolve it. I can resolve the first question by saying that Shemitah is Darabhanan. And now we have question number two, which says that, no, actually, um, e even, e let's say Shemitah is Darabhanan, that still raises some really big problems. Um, okay, so now what does Abaye say to this question number two? Amar Abaye, shave the Alta Sahu. Abaye says, this is a case where you should sit and let it pass, sit and do nothing. Um, so now we're going to look on, on this opinion of Abaye before we move on to Rava. So it's, it's very tricky here because what it looks like is that on question number two, we have a question, we have an answer of Abaye and the answer of Rava. That's a very normal structure of a thing. Abaye and Rava are what we might call, what we often call bar plugta. They're, they're people who argue with each other all the time. It's very sweet, actually. The Gemara has stories about them. They had the same teacher. They were both te uh, students of Raba. And there's stories about like what their childhood baby drash looked like that um, Raba would ask, like the, the Gemara tells the story, like Raba would ask them a question, you know, where is Hashem? And Rava would just like point, point up to the, to the rafters, but Abaye would like run outside and Hashem is here. Um, and um, and, and there, a, lot of, a lot of people feel like this is very like indicative of their different um, jurisprudential kind of personalities even. Um, there's, um, I, I heard a shear one time by Rabbi Ellie Fisher who used that, um, that story to tell, to, to argue that Abaye um, had ADD or ADHD even. Um, and um, it was actually pretty compelling. I think you can probably find it online somewhere. Anyway, so it seems like we have a question, we have an answer by Abaya, we have an answer by Rava. But I don't want you to fall into that trap because actually we had a statement by Abaya. We had a question, a statement by Abaya, and then a question on the statement by Abaya, and now we have Abaya's defense. So when we get to Rava, we're gonna have to ask ourselves, which question is Rava answering? Is Rava answering that original question, question number one of is how could Hillel have made prosable at all? Or is he answering question number two, absorbing the assumption of Rebbe that Shemitah is the Rabbanan and then actually answering this question, which Abai is about to answer, right? So that's just our like structural point. I'll repeat it again once we get to the opinion of Rava, but I wanted to kind of introduce it that way. But Abaye is clearly answering question number two because that's an easy structure, right? Question number one, Abaye's answer. Question number two, on Abaye's answer, and now Abaye's like final defense. So Abaye's final defense is, oh, the reason why it's not problematic for the rabbis to release a loan that on a Torah level still stands is because it's a Sheva Altasa. Okay, so the Sheva Altasa, sit and do nothing, right? That's the translation of Sheva Altasa. So the first question is, who is the person who's sitting and doing nothing? Is it Evie sitting and doing nothing by not repaying my loan? Or is it me sitting and doing nothing by not coming after Evie and trying to extract the money from her through some kind of legal force situation, right? So that's, that's the, that's the first question on this. So here's the Rashi on Rava. It's underlined in the, if you're in the source sheet, 
And if you're in the Gemara, it's like four lines down from once it gets skinny. Five, five, five lines down from once it gets skinny. Okay, so here's, here's Rashi Sheva Altasa. The halove hazeh, so that's Evie. Evie is the lova. The borrower, this borrower, she will sit, uvatel, and he'll do nothing. The eno osa hamitzvah, and she, he, it's in the, whatever, you'll imagine Evie into his masculine um, uh, language. The eno osa hamitzvah, we throw at Chuba when he doesn't do the mitzvah of repaying his debt. And he doesn't like undo something with his hands. Um, and similar, so we're going to dig in in a second to what it means. Like he didn't undo it with his hands because we're going to, Rashi's going to bring examples. And things, situations like this, where you don't have to undo it with your hands, you're allowed to uproot something from the, the rabbis are allowed to uproot something from the Torah. So what are examples of that? Examples are very, very strong. Shofar, Velula, Vidomehan. So what does that mean? If you open, I didn't bring you the Gemara in Yavamo because it doesn't really add to what Rashi tells you. I'll just tell you what it means. Um, on a Torah level, you're supposed to blow Shofar even when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos. Like, as you might know, we do not blow shofar when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos for all sorts of reasons. We think maybe people will practice, maybe people will carry it, maybe they won't be prepared, all whatever, a million different reasons why we don't blow shofar when the first day of Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbat. Um, it's impossible for the second day of Rosh Hashanah to fall on Shabbat, just as I'm saying it. Um, and... Um, that is a situation where it seems like the rabbi said, yes, this is a Torah level obligation, but we're going to uproot it. And how we're going to uproot it is through a Sheva Al-Tasa. Yep, you're just like, it's a mitzvah to say in the Torah. It's a positive commandment to do the thing, but you're just going to not do it. Um, and similar to Lulav, right? So Lulav on the first day is Torah level. You're supposed to do it. Uh, you're supposed to take Lulav on the first day, even if it falls on Shabbat. And similar to Shofar, the rabbi said, nope, that's too risky. We're not going to have you. You're going to break Shabbos in all these other ways. It's going to be really bad. We're going to have you not take Lulav on the first days. And the same question, how is it possible? The Torah commands you to take Lulav on the first days. You should take Lulav on the first days. Um, and, and still, and the answer is, it's a Sheva Al-Tasa. Sit and don't do it. And that, I think, is part of what motivates Rashi to say that it's, um, it's on Evie, that the Evie has a positive commandment to repay her debt, and she's just going to sit it out. Sheva Altasa, she's going to sit it out. As opposed to if it were on me, where like maybe I have actually like a Shemitah, viol it's like it would like violate Shemitah for me. To, like there's maybe more of like a Lotasa involved for me. I think that's what's, um, that's what's motivating Rashi to say the Sheva Altasa is actually on Evie, who's just going to like sit tight and not do anything. Um, and the reason why you're allowed to do it is because it's not that you're saying, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna do the opposite of what's commanded or that you're gonna, um, just completely uproot some kind of commandment. Rashi says, it's not like you're uprooting it with your hand. The rabbis are not uprooting any law with their hands. They're just saying, Evie, stay home, enjoy your a million dollars. Um, and that's, 
Um, and that, and so that's that's a biased answer according to Rashi for how um, how it's possible the rabbis can tell Evie, oh, um, like be a thief, basically. <laughs> um, no, you're not being a thief. You're just uh, you're just staying home, says Rashi. Okay, so now turn to source number seven. I'm sorry, we're gonna come back to the Rashba in order for the second half of it, but we're gonna look here at the at the first half of it. So turn to source number seven on page four, on page four, source number seven, sorry. Um, okay, source number seven on page four, we're in the Chidushe Harashba. So the Harashba asks, right that's our Gemara's question. Is there such a thing that on a Torah level is not released, i.e. the loan is not released, but the rabbis declared um, that it decreed that it should be um, that it should be released. Nearly says the Rashba, um, that because everyone wants to be able to say, I'm I'm releasing it, I'm keeping Shemitah. Have a sphere Akira, then it seems to the question asker, to the stam who says, that it's actually, no, like it's actually uprooting that, that this, this mitzvah de Rabbanan is actually uprooting a de'oraita obligation for Evie to repay her loan, that it's not a sheva al-tasak because we're uprooting an obligation. And therefore Abaye says, sheva al-tasak, who? Abai is not saying it's a she, and you'll see why I'm reading it that way in a second. Abai is not saying it's a Shiva Altasa um, case. Abai says he should sit and not um, and not collect the loan, the Malva. The Lokalmar Shiva Altasa Shani, right? Because if it wanted to say it's in general a Shiva Altasa, then it would have said, oh yeah, that's a good question, but Shiva Altasa makes the case different. And instead it says Shiva Altasa who? So that, right, the point, um, the, the main ikar hadavar, the main element of what's happening here is that they say to the malva, they say, they meaning the, the creators of the prosbol, for example, say to the malva, um, like don't go collect your loan unless you make a principal. So the Shiva Altasa is only, let's just, we have to make sure that we're clear on the case in order for this to make sense, right? The rabbinic innovation is actually not that um, Evie should just stay home and hang out. The rabbinic innovation is that I shouldn't collect my loan. I, the lender, should not go collect my loan Asterisk, unless I make a prosbol. That's an important piece to read into the Rashba, right? What's actually the rabbinic innovation? Rabbinic innovation is if you want to collect your loan, go make a prosbol, right? And then the question is, hold on, but who needs a prosbol? Evie has to repay the loan if it's all darabanan. And the answer is the Shiva Altasa is when, I, if, I, if I don't make a prosbol, 
then they're telling me, Leah, stay home. Don't go collect your money. Really, Evie owes it to you, but you're not going to go collect it. And he says, Rashi was explaining something else, um, which is his way of saying, I disagree with Rashi, um, which is fine. Um, but he's saying, no, the Shiva Al-Tasa is on the lender. The lender is supposed to not collect their loan unless they, unless they make a principal. And that's who's supposed to sit and do nothing. The, the lender who didn't make a principal is supposed to sit, sit and do nothing, according to Abaye's answer. Okay, that's, that's the amount of, um, of investigation we're gonna do into Abaye, because I'm very excited about Rava's answer. So we're gonna put Abaye to the side, unless there's anyone who has questions about Abaye. I want to keep going on to Rava then. Um, but okay, so just to review, right, the position of Abaye in totality is how could Hillel have made principle? It doesn't the Torah say to make principle? And then Abaye says, no, it's just a, a Durabanan. Then the Gemara says, hold on, but if it's just a Durabanan, then Evie has to repay. And Abaye says, no, because with principle, we're telling Leah, stay home and don't collect. Evie still has to repay, but Leah needs to go and collect. Um, says Rashi, it says Rashba, that's the Rashba's read, Leah has to go, and, um, Evie still has to pay, but Leah shouldn't go and collect unless she makes a principal. That's the Rashba read. And the Rashi read is, uh, yeah, basically Abai is saying, yes, good question, but the rabbis are totally allowed to do that. And it's just like them uprooting Lulav on Shabbos and Shofar on Shabbos. And yeah, and Evie is just not supposed to repay. So Rashi is putting, the Rashba read, I think is like a very reasonable um, uh, kind of read of what's going on here, that the lender is the one who's supposed to stay home. And then you get a back, you get a, you get a backdoor of a principle. The Rashi read is saying, yeah, this Turabanan is crazy. It's as crazy as telling people not to bench Lulav on Shabbos. It's a true flex of rabbinic power. Tell Evie to stay home, right? Rashi is reading a lot of strength into Abaye's position in a way that Rashba much less, I think. Um, okay, so let's move on to Rava and we're gonna talk about Hefker, Beit and Hefker. But before we talk about Hefker, Beit and Hefker, we have to understand that there's two ways to read. And I said this already, I, I, uh, I preluded this, but I think it's a little bit complicated. So I wanna say it again. There's two ways to read. Rava's approach here, Rava's Hefker, Beitin, Hefker. Approach one is question number one, Abaye's answer. Question number two, Abaye's answer, Rava's answer. That's framework number one for how to understand where Rava comes into this. Option number two is question number one, Abaye's answer, question on Abaye, Abaye's answer. Question number one, Rava's answer. Does that second chart, that kind of makes sense, right? We have one question, Abai had his chance at answering it, and now it's Rava's chance at answering it. So, right, so when Rava says, Hefgar Beitin Hefgar, there's a question of what question is Rava responding to? And Rashi is going to say, on Hefgar Beitin Hefgar, maybe both. Uh, that that's that's like the fascinating thing about Rava's answer is that it's a very strong answer and that it can actually really accommodate for both questions. So um, so here's 
so we can read inside, right? Rav Amar Hefker Beitin Hefker. Okay, now we read inside. Let's look at the let's, let's look at the Rashi that says um, that says uh, Rava Amar. Okay, Lolam being Lerabana, the Pligei Adarabi, the Amre Shviit, the Hashmatat Malve Bezman Hazet de Oraita, the Talking Hill of the Lotishamit. Being Larebi, the Amar Lav de Oraita, the Imorabana de Tishami. Okay, one second. Um, okay, so it, he says, Rashi says it could actually be both. Whether it's the rabbis who argue against Rebbe and they say, no, Shvi for the purposes of releasing. Um, for the purposes of, of requiring lenders to release loans in this time is actually still de oraita. And Hillel came along and says, don't do that. That's option number one. Or there's Rebbe's opinion who says it's not de oraita. And when and the rabbis say um, that actually you should um Right. Oh, and, and it's actually the rabbis who say, yeah, you should actually um, keep Shemitah on a rabbinic level, right? So whether, so he, he spells it out, because really inside we only ever saw the opinion of Rebbe, who says that Shemitah bismana says the rabbanan, but Rashi is bringing in like this other opinion, which says, no, Shemitah bismana says the rabbanan, and he says Rava could be answering, um, Rava could be addressing either of those things, which means that he could be addressing question number one, or question number two. And he says, don't, don't, have, don't have a problem with any of this. Because when it comes to monetary matters, we're not uprooting any Torah level thing. Because um, and we're not making some kind of, um, and we're not necessarily making some kind of like fence or anything like that, because Hefker Beitin, when a Beitin declares something to be Hefker, to be ownerless, can declare imminent domain, right? That's how we would say it today. When a Beitin declares something to be ownerless, when that thing is monetary, it is declared ownerless. Um, and so even, so here, let's just play that out, how it could be a response to either question. So if it's question number one, and the answer, and the question is, how is it possible that Hillel invented Prozbol when on a Torah level, um, Shemitah requires me to, um, to release the loan? The answer is Hefker Beitin Hefker. It works on a Doraita level. Hefker Beitin Hefker is a Doraita concept. Um, the Beitin can declare money to be ownerless at any time, however they please, no problem. If Okay, so that's that's that direction. But if we follow the the direction in which Rava is arguing with Abaye about the answer to the second question, which is, isn't Evie a thief? We're not repaying me if it's all on a Darabanan level. Then the answer again could be Hefker Beitin Hefker. No, Evie's not a thief because the Evie's owing me money has been transferred to the Beitin and the Beitin has decided that I'm not owed money anymore by Evie. Um, and so, right, so the Beitin can just reallocate funds, um, even funds, or especially funds not in their possession, um, and that works. So, um, so when, so it's not that Evie is stealing from me because the Beitin has 
taken the money from me and allocated it to Evie or the BTN now owns the loan um, if I did a principal and the BTN's just allowed to do that. So whether you think Shemitah Basmanazat is the right guy and you think Rava is responding to the first question or you're on team Shemitah Basmanazat Durabanan and Rava is responding to the second question, either way, Hafgar Beitin Hafgar is like this very strong approach. Okay, so where does Hafgar Beitin Hafgar Come from? We have a lot of questions about Hefgar Beats and Hefgar. Where does it come from? Who's allowed to do it? Is any Beatsin allowed to do it? Um, is this a, a thing that Bate Din are still allowed to do today? What is the strength of Hefgar Beats and Hefgar? So a question Hefgar Beats and Hefgar would be, let's say the Beatsin can take away a million dollars from me. Can they actually then reallocate that a million dollars to Evie? Or they can just take it away from me, right? Are they allowed to just like take from whoever they want, give it to whoever they want, or is it just that they're only allowed to take from people? So we have a lot of questions about half care, and half care. Hopefully the next half an hour will be plenty of time to, um, to get a first look at many of them. Okay, so, so we're gonna look at two other, two other Gemara texts that describe um, Hefgar Beats and Hefgar. But before we do that, let's actually look at the Psukim in our Gemara. So, right, we have Rava Amar Hefgar Beats and Hefgar. Where does it come from? The Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak says, Minayim Shehefgar Hefgar. From where do we know that Hefgar Beats is Hefgar, that the Beats can can declare um, can declare things ownerless and it works? Shana Amar, and then we're gonna quote from Ezra, and we'll look at this Ezra inside in a moment. So anyone who doesn't come for these three days at the advice of the um, sieges and the, the, the officers, um, all of their property will be yecheram, will be confiscated. Um, and I just lost my place. And, and this person, the person who didn't show up, will be separated from the community, um, the community that has, has returned from the exile. Um, okay, so that's option number one, right? It's this idea that if you don't show up, we're going to take away all your stuff. That really kind of sounds like Hefgar Basin, Hefgar. Uh, don't show up, we're going to take away all your stuff. That does not give us any indication as to whether I can repurpose that stuff. Like, okay, so the Beitin took away a million dollars from me. Doesn't tell me whether the Beitin is allowed to give that million dollars to Evie. Okay, and then here's option number two, Rabbi Eliezer, Amar, Amar Mihacha. Rabbi Eliezer says, no, we don't learn it from there. You learn it from here. The Gomer, these are the inheritances which um, were inherited by Elazar the priest and Rebush, and sorry, and, and Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the tribes, etc. And we'll see that inside also. This is in the book of Joshua. Um, and the Gemara says, Rashim What is the relationship to these heads and to these? Patriarchs, why does it say Roshe Ha'avot, right? That's basically the question of the Gemara here. Well, Mylach, to tell you, Ma'avot, Ma'avot, just as fathers um, pass on inheritance to their sons, Komasha year two, whatever they want to inherit to their children, they'll, they'll do. Af Roshim, 
manchivim ha'am kol mashiratu. So too, heads um, can inherit to the people whatever they want to inherit. So this is much less about taking and much more about bequeathing, right? I can bequeath whatever I want. So this doesn't actually tell me anything about who I can take from, but it tells me everything about who I can reappropriate to. So we have this kind of question of, are Rabbi Yitzhak and Rabbi Eliezer actually arguing? Because in some ways you kind of need both, right? Rabbi Yitzhak is all about, oh, the Beitian can take stuff. Rabbi Eliezer is all about, oh, well, the Beitian's sitting on stuff, it can give it away. So maybe actually when Rabbi is saying, Hefker, Beitian, Hefker, and here's my proof, the proof requires both the opinion of Rabbi Yitzhak and the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. Because Hefker, Beitian, Hefker, well, that's actually an interesting thing. Does Hefker, Beitian, Hefker, when it comes to Prisbal, actually require both taking and giving? Maybe it only requires taking. It certainly requires taking. Um, and we don't, we don't have clarity on that totally yet. But it does a little bit seem like the fact that um, in Hefker, in, in Prisbal, it gives the Beitian the court, the, it gives the Beitian the loan. But what the Beitian is doing is collecting my loan from Evie and then giving it to me or even empowering me to collect my loan straight from Evie, it does seem like Hefgare Beats and Hefgare by Prozbol really does require both. Like you need a much more um, creative model of how Hefgare Beats and Hefgare worked or, or how, how Hefgare Beats and Hefgare um, like is the force behind Prozbol if Hefgare Beats and Hefgare only can do one or the other, can only give or uh, can only take but not give. Um, so Gabriel asked if they were to take without giving, what would happen to the money? So maybe the money would automatically, you know, maybe it would go to like baked in fees or costs, um, you know, like, um, criminal justice systems require an incredible amount of money. Um, so it could, maybe it would cover those costs. I don't know. Um, or maybe the, the property would maybe have to be destroyed. Like there's lots of potential options, options there for if I took something. I mean, we have whole categories of things that are like, like prohibited and benefit, they're isurei hana'a. And so then, right, always the question is, well, now I have this thing, it's isur hana'a, what am I supposed to do with it? And, and oftentimes the Mishnah will say, yeah, throw it into Yam HaMelech, like throw it into the Dead Sea. Can't, can't get any benefit from it, can't do anything with it. Um, so that's, you know, that, that, that type of thing would be an option if they could take but not give. Um, sometimes it's sort of like, take it and sit on it until, until Messiah comes. Like sometimes the Beitian, if they don't know what to do with something, they, they just sit on it. Also, like there, I think there are really lots of potential options, but I don't know how taking without giving would, or what I don't, what I don't understand would be how taking without giving would, um, would affect the principle. So that's what, what, um, what I feel a little bit confused about. Um, and similarly, right, like how giving without taking makes any sense at all. Like, uh, is, is it really possible to read Rabbi Yezer's position to be, yeah, like God gave it to them so then they could give it out, but that doesn't mean that they can actually take from other people. Also, like, how would the words Hefgar Beitz and Hefgar possibly, uh, possibly mean that? Okay, Tracy says, we only need one side taking or giving. If the problematic thing is only the lendees not paying or the lenders not giving up their right to collect. Right, okay, yeah. I think Tracy's, what Tracy's saying makes sense here. So if, but Tracy, I guess my point is that 
in a pros bowl, what the Beijing is doing is saying, um, okay, like we, at least in, I think at least in Rava's understanding of what a pros bowl does. And we, we looked last week at, at the language of the pros bowl. And basically here's a pros bowl. Um, I hereby turn over to you judges in this place, all of the debts owned to me. So I give them the debt and uh, whether or not the debts are evidence in writing so that I may therefore collect these debts at any time that I desire. So that means that now Evie owes the beaten instead of me. And so then that gives me the right to lenders not right so it gives me the right to collect my payment because I'm the one who's not allowed to have it and so the beat-in then absorbs it but the beat-in as like a body is yes allowed to have it and I guess like if healthcare beat-in is what enables them to be like yes we're allowed to have it and we now release it to Leia so they are at least giving it to me um I guess that would be a case maybe if Evie pays Evie pays the beta of her own free will. They don't have to collect it through healthcare beta healthcare, but they release it back to me through healthcare beta healthcare. Right? Okay, Tracy, Shkoyach. Um, Okay, fine. Let's. Okay, so now we have. We're just going to look at um, two other cases of healthcare beta healthcare. So we have in Yervamo eighty seven B. We're in. It's a pretty yucky case, if I'm being honest. I just want to like warn you in advance. So we're talking about. Um, a minor woman, girl, she's minor, she's a girl. She was married off to some man um, by not her father, but her sister or her brother. So presumably her father is dead. Um, and, um, and then the question is like, who inherits her when she dies while she's still minor? So we have, um, so we have, we have, we're in the middle of a, of a conversation that's not exactly about that, but sends to Rabba in the hand of Rav Achabar Rav Huna, says, and can the court not stipulate to uproot something that's prohibited by Torah law, don't we have the following rights of from when does a man inherit his minor wife? Um, and she, again, was married off by her mother or her brother, which is a Darabanan level marriage, but not a Dorita level marriage. I should have mentioned that from the beginning. So she's in a Darabanan marriage, but it's not effective Dorita. Um, and then the question is, well, she dies, who inherits her? Because there's like a Dorita like chain of inheritance. Um, and that presumably wouldn't include her Darabana and a husband. Okay. Um, so from when does he inherit her? Um, it, right. So that's the the bright when she's reached her like full height. So maybe that's like a sign of adulthood. And he'll say no. He inherits her from when they get this, when, when they effectuate this Darabanan marriage. Rabbi Eliezer Omer Misha Tzibael, and Rabbi Eliezer says, from when they consummate the marriage, um, and he inherits from her, he becomes, if, if, she, if he's a Kohen, he'll become impure for her if she dies, um, even if he's a Kohen. Um, and similarly, if he's a Kohen um, and she, she's not a Kohen and then she marries him, she can eat Truma 
uh, because of him, on account of him. Um, but then it, the, so then the Gemara, we like skip some part, some parts here, but then the Gemara says, Tani Miha Yarsha, it says that the, the Brayta teaches that the husband inherits her, but on the Torah level, her, her, her birth family, her father, who presumably is dead, um, should inherit her. And the, the husband only inherits her on this Darabanan level. How is that possible? Asks the Gemara. And the answer is Hefker Beitzin Hefker. The answer is that the rabbis are allowed to essentially confiscate property from, from her, um, her birth, her family of birth, and give it to her, um, to her family of marriage. Um, through Hefker Beitzin and Hefker, right? They, they just they they just seize the property and give it give it to the give it to the husband. Um, and then we have our exact sources: the Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Minai Hefker Beitzin Hefker, Shneimar, right? Exactly our sources from Ezra, and then we also have Rabbi Elazar's opinion with our sources from Yehoshua, and that exact same reasoning about the sources from Yehoshua, and that's about the, the gifting part of it. So it's not just about the taking from the father's family, it's also about the reappropriation of the funds to the husband's family. So that's in, in Yevomot. So before we see, um, before we see that the third source, um, the third Gemara source that quotes these, which is source number six, let's just look a little bit inside. Now that we've seen these sources twice already, probably makes sense to look at um, these sources in Ezra and Yeshua. So uh, oh, we're going to do that real fast. Okay, so. Mm, okay. Basically, I'm just going to tell you the Ezra thing outside. In Ezra, everyone is intermarrying, and Ezra really hates it. They, right? So Ezra is the times of Shivatzion, the return to Israel um, after the first um, exile. Ezra is one of the people who leads the return, um, and he is um, very from, and he really hates intermarriage. And everyone who's there is intermarrying, and he thinks this is a really big problem. Um, and he says, um, you know, what should we do about it? Everyone has intermarried. Um, and they say, um, you know, let's bring everyone to, um, let's, let's gather everyone and let's um, make a whole big thing. And anyone who doesn't come, we're going to take away, we're going to assume like they're, they've chosen to like stay with their intermarried spouse, their non-Jewish wife. That's really what it is. We're going to assume they've chosen to stay with their non-Jewish wife and we're going to kick them out of the community. Um, so another time on all the like intermarriage resonances between like responses in the times of Ezra and responses today. But the idea is that, that the, 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 for our purposes, the idea is that the community, that the leaders of the community have this power to take away all of someone's wealth and then kick them out of the community, which is in and of itself. You know, today we might see people trying to kick people out of the community, but they don't have the right to like seize their bank accounts um, on the way to doing that. And that's definitely what you should be imagining into these Ezra texts. Um, okay, so that's Ezra. And then in Yehoshua, what we have here is um, it's, it's the end of a long, long, long paragraph about all of that, I mean, you can tell, right? Because we're in verses 48 to 51. That's a pretty long paragraph. And it's all about the allocations of land to each tribe. 
Um, and so, right, this is the portion of the tribe of Dan by their clans, towns, villages, and and then, right, so they had finished allotting the land according to its boundaries, and then they're like, wait, Yehoshua, we want to give you, like, this special piece of land just for you, um, which is kind of sweet. So give him the city that he asked for, which is Timnat Serach, in the in the mountain of Ephraim, and he built himself a city and he lived there. Um, and uh, so and then we have this kind of like summary statement. These are the portions assigned by lot to the tribes of Israel by the priest Elazar. Um, Joshua, son of Nun, the heads of the ancestral houses, before Hashem at Shiloh, the entrance of the tent of divine meeting. Um, so we ha- I think I, what I really want you to see this inside, because I love this bit where they're like, oh, yes, we like portioned out everything according to like this lottery system, this whole complicated thing. But then when we were like, oh, we also have to, um, we also have to, um, we also have to bring the uh we also have to like give Yoshua his own separate one that he asked for so I think that's actually also really relevant that it might seem like oh in Yoshua it's the, well like yeah they have the power to do it but only by this like goral divinely inspired process but actually then Yoshua asks for a city and they give it to him and they seem to clearly have the power to do that um but it is kind of interesting that that's not the part that uh Rabbi Lazar quotes because um it kind of seems a little off. <laughs> it seems like a little bit not so ethical. The Yoshua was like, I would like this city for myself, please. Um, and, and like gets it. And I feel like that, and, and that's like kind of a bad model for what a Beitin should follow, I guess, going forward. Like, oh, I'm the odd Beitin. Like I will take Evie's a million dollars and allocate it to myself. Um, I think that's probably like a problematic model, even if like maybe it was right for Yoshua for all kinds of reasons. And you can see all the different commentators there um, about that. But um yeah. Um, so I think it, it is like the, the, the like text selection as the source there, I think is quite interesting. Um, Gabriel noticed that it's Rebbe Elazar in some places and Rebbe Eliezer in other places. Yes. So if you, and then suggest that it might be a manuscript issue. Yeah. So if you look, I don't know whether you're using a, an Ozva Hadar, which is a great type of Gemara that um, brings in manuscript variants. Um, and it says in, in the Uzvahadar, it says it should say El Azar. So it's not Rabbi Eliezer, it's Rabbi El Azar in the um, according to according to manuscripts in Gitin. So the Gitin text should be amended to exclude a Yud to El Azar. Okay. So those are our those are our source texts in all of their complexity for Afghan Hafgar. And then an interesting thing happens in Moe Katan. So in Moed Katan, we have this more kind of like big scale theoretical question. How do we know that the court can declare property of someone who doesn't obey its orders as ownerless? So when we just want a source for making something that, that the beating can make something hefker, then 
why would we bother bringing the texts from Yahushua that are all about allocation, right? So when we just want a source that the, that the Beitin is able to make something Hefker and not reallocate it as it's doing very clearly in the Uvamot source, right? We're, take, we're saying, oh, this was supposed to be inherited by these people. And actually, it's going to be inherited by those people. That's a reallocation. And most likely in principle, that's what's happening too, that there's, uh, I'm not supposed to collect it. So I give it to the Beitin to collect and then they reallocate it to me. Um, but when we're just talking about the Beitin's ability to um, just take money away from people, right? Manalan de Mafkarinan, then, then we're then all we need is the Ezra source, and that's all that's brought there actually. So that's like quite interesting in terms of this question of well, is this really a debate between Rabbi Yitzchak and Rabbi Elazar, um, and and a kind of different models being put forward by the sources in Ezra by the Pesukim in Ezra versus the Pesukim in Yehoshua? We really have some good um, some good evidence from Moe Katan that it does seem to be like yeah, we're really describing different functions, and when we're talking about Hefker between Hefker. What we're really doing is like absorbing um, two different functions of what we might call like hafka, like making something hafkar or like removing it from someone, and then hakna of, of of giving it to someone else. Those are actually two different things, and actually maybe they require two different sources. Um, so while at first blush it seems like oh it's just a debate between Rabbi Yitzchak and Rabbi Elazar, I actually I actually want to submit that I think um, possibly you actually need both. And in cases where you don't need both, they don't bring both. Um, okay, so that's, that's, um, that's where I wanted to go with that. Um, so now, now we have some other questions about, um, about like who can do Hefker based in Hefker and how, um, and like, how does it even work? So the Rashba, we'll just look back in the Rashba for a second at source number seven. Um, so he, uh, and we're just gonna look at the bolded line because um, he quotes, um, he, he agrees with Rashi for this part. So we don't have to review that. Um, but he, he, he says, how does it work? Yafa, uh, sorry, um, from the Rashi, right? Minash ma'inan dekoach beitin yafa lahafkir mamon Right, because the other fascinating thing about the principle is that it still empowers me to go collect my loan from Evie, which is weird. You might think uh, actually like the Beitin should have to be the middle body. Evie should repay the Beitin, the Beitin could give it back to me. And what the Rashba is saying is no, that's what's amazing about Hefker, Beitin, Hefker. They, even before the money ever touches, even before the Beitin ever touches the money, they can reallocate theoretical future money to someone else. So not only do they have both collection powers and allocation powers, they can allocate before they've collected, which is a very interesting idea of the Rashba there. Um, okay, so now we're gonna go to the to Maimonides and Mishnah Torah, we're in source eight. And here he's talking about, he's listing out like all the different powers that the Beitian might have. And it's, it's within this kind of framework that sometimes the Beitian has to act almost like extrajudicially, like the Beitin has to act like outside of its mandate. So for those of you familiar with like, there's there's a very famous like Dreshot Haran um, where the Ran talks about, yeah, like actually the Beitin is so limited and that's why you have a king and the king can like make the world an actually a just place. And here's where you see the Rambam saying, no, actually like the Beitin can do all of it because the Beitin can actually like act outside of the law if they want to. So, um, 
And, and that's in that context that he talks about Hefker, Beit, and Hefker. So, um, so here we go. So, Vachin Yishle Dayan Tamid. The judge always has the power to declare hefker, to declare ownerless money that has an owner. He can destroy it, he can take it away, or he can give it away. According to what seems right in his eyes, to, to fence up uh, holes in the, in the religion or the religious community. Um, and 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 to, to strengthen um, and and or to find or or whatever and and then he quotes um, from Ezra for this capability, but that's a very interesting read, right? So it seems like in order for the Rambam to quote from Ezra when he's both saying that they can take money and re- they can collect and reallocate. That's a very interesting read because that seems like he's saying, um, actually, maybe Rabbi Yitzchak and Rabbi Elazar are arguing with each other because um, he's only quoting one. And if he's quoting one, he's only quoting Ezra. But, but I think the reason why the Rambam, if he does think that they're disagreeing or he does think they're like redundant in some way, would only quote, quote Ezra because for the Rambam, it's all about it's like there's something really bad going on here and we have to fix it. And that's what's happening in Ezra, meaning Yoshua, there's something awesome going on here. We've inherited the land, now we're allocating it. That's great life. But in Ezra, it's like there's something going wrong and we're going to use our power to, to try and stop it. Um, and um, so that's much more in line with what the Rambam is describing here. And just to give you a sense of like other things the Rambam thinks the Beitin's allowed to do. So in source number nine, um, this is that same chapter, but later on, it says the, the Dayan can put someone, can excommunicate someone. And again, for what purpose? Right, in order to, to, to fence up a, a hole. Um, and it's all according to Kafimashi or Alo, according to what. What, what seems appropriate to him and according to Vashach um, and, and according to like if the if the hour calls for it um, and and he says the Beitin can can get into fights with people and can curse people and can hit people and can even pull out people's hair. Um, okay, but then he says we're skipping to the bold part. All of this is according to what the judge sees as being appropriate to him. The time calls for it. But all of his actions need to be oriented for the sake of heaven. And he needs to show a lot of respect towards other human beings. Um, and um, and he, he goes on and on here about like how the Dayan in using these powers that he is holding and can use Kafimashi or Elo, he can use according to however he thinks necessary. Um, he still needs to be extremely careful in using these powers. So that's that's the Mishnah Torah. The Ritva also thinks, based on the Rambam, the Ritva in source 10 also thinks that um that's the end of that uh, first line, the beginning of the second line. Every important beitin in any place in any time can use the power of hefker beitin hefker. Um, and then um, we'll just skip to the Shulchan Aruch for a second. The Shulchan Aruch doesn't exactly say it. Um, we're on the back in source 12. Shulchan Aruch doesn't exactly say it. It's really the Ramah 
who feels very strongly that Hefker Beitz and Hefker like lives on today. Um, so if you look in the in that first bolded parenthetical, that's we, we typically assume the parentheticals are the Rama, unless we have proof otherwise, but almost always we assume they're the Rama. And he, he adds in um about what um about what a beaten is allowed to do if there's like if they like wh- about what what kinds of like like what kinds of of new of rules or actions the is allowed to take in times when they feel endangered or like the Jewish community is like endangered from within even um and and it's the the Shulchan Aruch suggests all kinds of violent things and the Ramah says um, that, and the Ramah is the one who adds in and they can take away people's money. Um, and then if you look um, further down, we're in the Ramah there again, the Hefkeran Hefker, that when the Beitin declares something Hefker, it works. But he acknowledges, the Ramah acknowledges that there are people who disagree with him. Um, and he says, no, actually, um, some people don't think they're allowed to do that. Um, but if like the whole community, but he argues like if the whole community like really supports it, then maybe maybe they can still do it. Anyways, whatever. But in general, and he concludes Um, but in general, it seems like the Ramah is like generally quite in favor of of Hefker Beitz and Hefker existing until today, and the Beitzin really, yes, having the power to confiscate people's um possessions by means of punishment, which is quite interesting. Um, and so, okay, so we're done for today, but come back again next week for more how does Prisbol work and should we keep it questions. And that's really what we'll be um, pivoting to, right? So at the beginning, uh, the Gemara we'll, we'll look at next week starts um, So the question is, okay, well, maybe we took away like this guy's money or money from people in this generation but can we do that forever is there such a thing as a beaten that can can enact something like that forever is that how this actually works and remember we have two different positions on on the table about whether shmita is the oreta or derevanan and then also like what is the function behind prisbol uh so lots of unclarity that still stands even though if you can't tell already i think rava is very uh provided today a very strong and interesting answer and it does seem um, it does seem like uh, uh, um, like he has he has a lot of good people in his corner as well. Um, okay, thank you all so much for coming, and Evie, you can uh, close us out. Thank you so much for this uh, second session in this series, Rabbi Tzarna, and thank you to everyone who joined us today here on Zoom, on Facebook, and also on Drisha Live. Uh, we go live again tomorrow, Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern with the four cl- fourth, fourth class in the session on prayer and the prayer book. The Sidur is a guide to prayerful reflection with Rabbi Silber. In addition, you can always find out uh, information about class offerings as well as the registration links on our website, www.dresha.org classes. Or you can watch classes live at www.dresha.org slash live. But we love having you here on Zoom. Uh, thanks again for this opportunity to learn with you, Rabbi Nitzarna. And thanks again to everyone who joined us. And I hope to see you soon in one of our upcoming classes here at Dresha. <laughs>